what inspired us today for a short scholar shorts? <laughs> I and came up with ship. I didn't think of it. Okay, let's see. Third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. I love that. Okay. Third time's a charm. Um, got it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to uh, Scholarly Shorts with Shakespeare. <laughs> as, as we all often wonder, did Shakespeare ever wear short shorts? <laughs> uh, anyway, joking, joking, academic joking. Uh, we have a guest today, Solomon Grumby. Dr. Solomon Grumby is here with us to explain. We found a fragment of text that was in one of Shakespeare's journal, and it is a scene that has been rewritten three times. Solomon Grumby, let's discuss. Oh, yes, I am as I am as delighted as the idea of Shakespeare wearing short, short shorts as I am by uh, by the the trio of scenes to really get into the mind of the writer and process things in an all new way. Uh, for I don't believe that many people knew that Winter's Tale was originally Summer's Tale followed by Fall's Tale. Ah, and so the first writing that you did find. Uh, was the first iteration fall? Was it summer? Was it spring? Uh, it was a summer's tale, uh, but it was not anything to do with the season or the uh, metaphor of it. It was a very base level about a, a, a young lady named Summer who uh, did wish to wear shorter shorts, ironically. Ah, let's, let's take a brief look at this poorly scribbled scene of a lady named Summer in shorter shorts. Do not shield your eyes, so for they are not as pale as you make out. And yet I think the sun shines not as bright as thy oily calves. Thou find thyself not so bright either, for I may be bold in shaping my legs out towards this wide world, yet your mind remains small. Come, lass, my mind be not as small as thy modesty, for how bearest thou thy skin in the marketplace as such? I shall hear you call me lass no more times. For I may not have a trade like you, Barry, for you be a fisherman of great scant, but I shall not be shamed. Yea, fill my pockets with scampi if you may, for they will cascade down my much prevailed calves. And yet how can I to father bring thee home like this? I need not bring home to anybody, neither father nor home. What? Hast thou our betrothal so soon forgotten? Perhaps, for if you do look upon my legs with such disdain, then you shall see neither lower or below my knees. Tis not thy legs that do offend me much, but tis the showing of them to the most unruly crowd. Lookest thou at Bertrand there, or see you surly Sal, they look with eyes as large as saucer plates. 
see not this as my problem, for they have the great wild world in which to look. Why do they decide to take up the two tiny spaces in the grandest of schemes that occupy already my legs? Look elsewhere! Now, wasn't that a wonderful, wonderful scene, Agatha? Indeed, the argumentation and the specificity is, well, it was quite grand, although it's, I would say it's many iterations from Winter's Tale, don't you think? It is quite a few, but with this next variation on that scene from Fall's Tale, uh, we see the character of Autumn, but instead of ganging up upon a woman who was uh, historically an underprotected and represented class in Shakespeare's day, uh, we now see that it is about the man's choice to uh, not bring a jacket out when it might be quite chilly in the market. Oh, this breeze doth bristle through the hair upon my manly bosom as never have I felt before. Wait there, wait there, good man. As I be a lady, I see pieces of skin upon thy arm that I have not seen before. Where be thy clothes? I have abandoned clothes as I have abandoned modesty and shame, and through the world shall I outsend a ripple. Come, sweet lass, and see my arm, and look you here upon my nipple. Nay, 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 thou beest a demon indeed, sent to make me do things of that of which I would not do, such as gaze upon thy sheen. Aye, if being demon leads to such behavior, then a fiery demon be. <gasps> oh, oh, Adonis before me, thou art a statue of Greek proportion. Nay, I look down and I see even that of the Roman period. I, I shall one by one list my many features, and thou shalt comment upon their magnificence. What thinkest thou of my right knee? <gasps> it be only escalation from thy elbow. Nay, nay, not give me one more, or my heart will surely burst in flame. Yet what thinkest thou of this fine muscle in my arm? Oh! <gasps> That be but one muscle, and not a convolution and algamation of many such? Sweet lady, thou hast filled my heart with pride, and therefore I this last regalia of the past shall I abscond with and remove my gherkin. Oh! <gasps> Oh, and, and uh, I believe the actors do stop there. Is that correct, Dr. Solomon Grundy? Well, it does depend on the production. But yes, the script does end there. But Shakespeare left a lot of room and uh, judgment for the director to decide uh, as the cast would put on these productions. But it was a little heavy handed, was it not? Indeed. And so this was actually produced before the third time charm of what became Winter's Tale. Yes, and unfortunately, it was 
it was just too much of a spectacle, so much nudity, so much desire upon the bits of flesh that was seen far too often in that day. Hmm. Well, if these are the last bits of text we have today, uh, shall we tell the actors they could put their clothes back on appropriately? I do not try to get in the way of any actor's process. They may robe or disrobe as they wish. Indeed. Well, thank goodness this is an audio cast. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us with Dr. Solomon Grundy today. The third time is indeed the charm to reach what is now Winter's Tale, as we have discovered and enjoyed these two very very rough drafts of what is now a pristine script. I hope to see and hear you all next time on our next episode of Shakespeare's Shorts. <laughs> <laughs>